going to explain the conceit of the podcast real quick. I found a normally I just find a collection of uh, questions somewhere and I ask them during lulls in the conversation. I was told, you know, quite early on that I would need a gimmick um, to really stand out, which I, I initially bristled at because I don't want to be a, you know, one of those guys. But this is broad enough that I feel comfortable doing it. So I know you're a big fan of uh, Philip K. Dick. Mm. You're a, you know, you're a dickhead. Big dickhead. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've uh, found a PDF of his novel Ubik, which I haven't read, but is sitting on my bookshelf. And I'm sure you recommend. Mm. Uh, and I've just control f a bunch of questions in it and lifted them out of their context. So um, this one's very convenient, actually. How do you feel? How do I feel? Yeah, how do you feel? I feel good. I feel excited. We're in um, lovely scenery. There's, um, we picked a spot in the park where there's n- you can't really see any other stationary groups of people, but people are coming past periodically. Yeah. Cycling past a man, a gentleman right now is cycling past without touching his handlebars. That's, that is actually something I've been trying to do recently. Really? He's showboating? You want to showboat? Not showboat, it's the one real utility, or two real utilities I've seen for it. And one of them is completely perfunctory and stupid, but one is you can uh, make an Instagram story of yourself riding around. (laughs) The other, other though, is some of the domestiques in the Tour de France, I've seen them do it, so... You know, like, certain riders have to go back to the team car and get bottles of water and stuff. Too well. I, know I just saw well. an amazing excerpt. One of the, one of the domestics was kind of hands-free, receiving bottles right. of water, yeah. all kinds of no, stuff, yeah. tucking them into the back of his. Um, well, that's jersey. a pragmatic reason to do it. I don't think the gentleman who just uh, cycled past us was doing. No. You know any of that stuff? No, it's good. I remember. I remember. You know, look, mum, no hands. That's a big thing when you're a kid and you manage it. It's it's, mm. a, it's good fun. I need a bike. You know, mine got stolen. Under what, in what circumstance? I don't know. I was away, and when I went back to my parents' house, they told me it had been stolen, and they just hadn't told me while I was gone. Mm. How frustrated would you be if you saw somehow CCTV of the incident, and it's stolen by a guy who rides past on his bike with no hands, (laughs) and using the free pair of hands. Oh, no. He's kind of holding it above his head. And he was a domestique. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was in, and I saw him late, actually I saw him on the Tour de France when it was on TV, Yeah, riding my bike. Or it was stolen during the Tour de France, one oh of the my bikes. God. One on of the, the go, got, like a pit stop. Mm, one yeah. of the bikes broke down or something. Right. Well and then I'd support it. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean like a Lance Armstrong figure, inspirational, if he needed that. You know, in his prime, when we didn't know about the doping, I'd, I'd have been mm. alright with it. He had cancer. I think he did. But I think, if anything, if your bike was chosen for the tour, I'd almost be proud to let it go, knowing that they think it's up to, you know, yeah, up to snuff. I think it would be, yeah, no, it would be right. Do you ever consider, do you watch the Tour de France? I will watch it this year. I watched no. it a couple of, basically, my uncle and granddad had a big interest in cycling, and probably still do, but... No, it's uh, it's been a recent. Uh, I don't know if this is premium podcast content. <laughs> or anything, but yeah, I was about to take us down an even uh, dumber road, which was I was going to ask you if you'd seen the triplets of Belleville. I that have. Film. Yeah, on the recommendation of Charlotte, and it's I a like good film. It is a good film. I, me- I remember it coming in a British free in a British newspaper when I was a kid, and that was the only reason I saw it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> listeners should check out a French cartoon called The Triplets of Belleville. Mm. Uh, you know, sort of scary scary uh bodies in that and as a and as a kind of digestif after that sure. you're looking for another animated uh <laughs> can i recommend the episode of the paddington cartoon where paddington accidentally wins a state sort of <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, i didn't know there was a paddington cartoon am i there is deprived what's going on it's um i don't i didn't i didn't see it at the time it's another one of these things where I've... Charlotte has basically convinced me to watch some of the old episodes. This is going to be one of the few Anglophile uh, podcasts I'm going to be able to do. So we should probably take at some point, you know, a couple of minutes just to uh, loose our frustrations about America and American culture. Mm. 
you know, the hegemony and how we're meant to adhere to it somehow. Yes. Or um, I feel like Paddington is maybe one of those... It, it seems to have been absorbed pretty seamlessly into the wider... Yeah, Paddington's American done all right. Imagination. Paddington, uh, Mr. Bean, Paddington. Mr. Bean, Paddington. Uh, Mr. Bean's non-verbal, though. I mean, like, mm. he's been observed. Uh, like, he's been um, absorbed into like Botswanan culture. He's everywhere, you know. Yeah. Do you think there's any room for Mr. Bean to be absorbed by kind of extraterrestrial? <laughs> Do you feel like Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bean is, is absolutely. so? Absolutely. He should be sent. He should have been sent up with those pictures of circles and of people eating grapes. You know, on mm. that on that spacecraft. The voyage. Was what was it? The Golden Disc, or whatever they call it. Yeah, episodes of Mr. Bean. I mean, Rowan Atkinson should have been sent up in Mr. Bean costume and mm. left to die on that spacecraft. He should have been the Leica of, uh, I don't know, that particular mission, I think. But then the terrifying thing is, if these extraterrestrials take this to heart, right. and they think, right, this is... This is what Earth humans culture, are. <laughs> when they send aliens down, they'll be just, like, bumbling, complete bumbling morons. But that'd be good. I'd be down for that. You know, we're kind of all of mankind is gathered watching the uh, watching the spacecraft come down and the sort of the ramp descends and then out comes this guy goes oh and then he kind of tumbles down it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like a green a green fella doing that. Green oh. bean. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're off to a good start. I think uh, I had a cute idea for a little science fiction story, like a twee sort of science fiction idea mm. which would be it's not even science fiction but like some alien science fiction writer mm. on some distant planet living by himself on a shed it's like a small planet we're talking like little prince aesthetics you know mm. and then he um he builds worlds he imagines what a world would be a civilization and then he builds what that that per, that world's personal little space shuttle that they would send out to other extraterrestrial life to communicate what their whole shit is about mm. does that make sense yes like he's just working on like okay well we're aware of uh, rhombuses we're you know we eat uh, I don't know soil so he's almost making the kind of like the sort of time capsule that this yes, fictional culture for a would. fictional culture well well and I thought that was a cute idea that I'll probably never make into anything so I'm putting it out there for uh, you know some shut in uh, who's listening to this to uh, create possibly what that reminds me of, I can't remember what this thing is called. Someone probably will, but there are some in London. There's one in um, near kind of like foils on the edge of Chinatown. It's this thing where, you know, like a blue plaque, you know, it'll say, you yeah. know, um, for instance, uh, Al Bowley lived here in sure. the 30s or something. Yeah. There are these plaques which go up detailing events from a fictional alternate universe oh yes no yeah, have I'm, you seen I'm, them? I'm there for it oh wait you're saying it's real it's real it's real oh, there, there's, there's some in london i can't it's I got just... a really long and unwieldy name but they're um well the thing i can imagine is that happening for like harry potter you know mm. or um i don't know i wish they do have that to a degree i mean like they have the the platform thing right nine and three quarters at paddington station yes oh, same pancreas i mean have you uh ever visited it no. I can't remember the last time I was at St. Pancras Station. I can't remember the last time I truly was interested in Harry Potter, which saddens me, me because I do remember being about five or six and just my mum would basically help me to... Uh, I mean, <laughs> this is a very uh, kind of perhaps overwrought description of what it means to play, as, play with toys as a kid, but <laughs> I would build these sort of Harry Potter Lego sets... Unlicensed, you know, and uh, yeah. there was no, you know, that kind of thing. When you're a kid, you want quantity of over quality. Sure, yeah. at least I did. So no tact, no tact, no, no kind of yeah, no yeah. harmony of color or anything. Of course not. Um, I would just essentially create Harry Potter fan fiction, but my mum was right there with me, like sweet. You know, you were telling me once about. Uh, now I can't really remember. Was it Nostalgia Critic or Angry Video Game Nerd? <laughs> Playing with your TMNT. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. great. The, um, let me introduce the, the acquisition of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures. Because <laughs> this itself is a hilarious and revealing story about myself. Um, I can't remember which one of the four, the four brothers. 
Incidentally, on the topic of Four Brothers, if you've never heard it, check out the jazz standard Four Brothers. Right. But, uh, no, yeah, let's talk about that. Woody Herman? Yeah. I don't know. But, um, because cause in my mind, when I hear that song, my mind goes immediately to the Four Brothers and Ninja Turtles. But, um, uh, yeah, so I can't remember which turtle I had first, but I had to get all four of them. And I remember, I was about 10 at the time, and, uh, this is beginning to feel like I'm... It's like therapy or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to lie down, feel free. I'll, I'll recline. I was, oh. with, my, I was with my dad yeah. in the toy shop. Yeah. And uh, I was walking around loudly, kind of picking up the Turtles figures and loudly saying to him, yes, I think these are the ones that my friend, who is younger than me, will like. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, no. who is younger than me, by yeah. the way, I think these are exactly. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I. And you were you were 19 years old. And I was 19 years old. Mm. <laughs> How old were you? About 10, I think. Right. Which I think is kind of um, a little bit of an indictment of where my head was at at that point, where I felt like you needed to prove yourself to your, you know. Yeah, not even to my dad, oh, just right. to any would-be sure. kind of anyone overhearing it because yeah <laughs> overhearing it so you'd be saying it to yourself if you're alone in the toy shop you'd be no going, no i was with my dad i was with my dad my dad right, okay. knew exactly what i wanted i wanted the ninja turtles sure figures, but i didn't want to reveal that to of course but that's um you know an interesting kind of no it's interesting when because i think everyone has these um memories of when sort of those kind of insecurities became a reality and when those things creeped into their lives mm. when you're a kid i mean when you're a small child you don't give a shit about any of that stuff no um i remember i remember uh oh wait no continue with your tmnt thing first well anyway yeah we got the ninja turtles <laughs> figures always fine you know enjoyed many an hour playing with of them. course but um the, the 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 hilarious thing i used to do is i would I had another figure of um, David Tennant as Doctor Who. Yes. And uh, he was the closest figure I had who could be a stand-in for the angry video game nerd. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, what I would do is enact David Tennant, Doctor Who, as the angry video game nerd, giving the Ninja Turtles a dressing down for the, the inferior quality of their... <laughs> NES game. He <laughs> <laughs> was he was almost yeah. like he was almost like a military drill sergeant. The turtles would be lined up. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going on his sort of scatological rants like this is a pile of shit dicks in a velociraptor's asshole or whatever? I might have done. I might have done. I can't really remember. I just um the funny thing is I feel like in reality if the angry video game nerd were to actually meet the Ninja Turtles because he's he's clearly a fan of them he must be in order to harbour that strong feelings about yeah. the game not living up to his expectations it's hard to think he isn't a fan of all the like 80s IPs that were somewhat popular mm. that's just what he is he must be because otherwise he wouldn't be able to it's like it's not just um, he's not like a consumer watchdog in that do you know what I mean he's not like um he clearly feels some personal disappointment that these games <laughs> yeah. never, you know, it's like the sad thing is he almost, he, he, he expected better. Yeah. Of, uh, it's amazing. Like <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how seminal James Rolfe is to mm. everything. I mean, on, on the internet, I remember watching him. He was pre YouTube. He was like, mm. I remember showing him to my friends in primary school and then, just showing a mixture of like confusion and disgust of the fact that I remember showing it to a friend uh, when he came back to my house and he just went, do you, so you what you watch this with your time. You do. And he was nine years old. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to, I need to, I need to pre keep pretending to have a gimmick for this. So I need to ask you another question. Um, do you want a profound one or a banal one? Uh, you choose. Dealer's choice. Oh shit. Okay. Let. Well, I'll ask you a profound one, and you can go. You can choose where to go with it. All right. Mm. Um. What constitutes an authentic human being? What constitutes an authentic human being? Or the authentic human being? The authentic. Yeah. Human the authentic being. human being. Platonic. Uh, I guess. 
some kind of some kind of um that the i always feel like the less convoluted your internal world is which i know is a slightly odd one to get into but um, no you can't be too wanky on here go ahead uh I, I feel like it's something to do with the greatest degree of harmony between maybe i'm maybe i'm misunderstood maybe i'm not really thinking about the word authentic but maybe something more like successful um in what by what metric successful by the metric of um um at the very least your personal value judgment my personal value right, judgment yeah. would be number one trying to eliminate as much kind of psychological disharmony as you right. can being sort of honest you know with yourself understanding um understanding what trying to understand what it is you want to do yes and then honestly examining right what are the what if any other kind of the sort of personal subroutines i have which are perhaps preventing me from actually getting this done yeah i don't know if this is making sense it's making a lot of sense don't don't you worry about it so what okay what what are the validation centers what are your personal validation centers what highs are you chasing because these are all things that are seeds that are planted in childhood right mm. sort of pivotal scenes so i want to this is what i want to hear these are all like foundational like what's going on what are my personal what highs am i chasing yeah i like to think that currently it is entirely self improvement yes um and I would l- hope to think, you know, that I've done my best to reduce the reduce the need for external validation. Yes. But I feel like that that is a really. I feel like for most for for many people, that's quite an ongoing battle. Oh yeah, I mean it's going to go on for your entire life. I I always found it weird when people tried to make out that they did anything for purely internal validation reasons you know especially when they're young because like they would say things like oh i don't do this for other people's approval and it's like well maybe you don't do it for this particular person's but to act like other people's approval and your own self-approval are not eternally entwined and like impossible to disentangle Mm. is really weird right Mm. Um, I don't know. I I feel like you need a solid few years of getting other people's approval before you can even begin to sort of get a conception of, um, or to become satisfied with your own. Unless you're really smart, I do. Off, I do sometimes meet people who are good at that. Um, I would agree. Yeah. There's that baffling idea though of like uh, the approval from other people. All it can ever do is unlock unlock whatever kind of corresponding areas of your own mind. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes. if someone gives you a compliment, um, I love your outfit, it's not the compliment itself that, 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 that elicits the results. It's the way it kind of interfaces with your own... Like, if you were sleeping and they said that, do you know what I mean? It's not... There's, right, no, yeah. there's no kind of inherent <laughs> power to the... It's all, it's yeah. all about... I don't know. And you compliment I, an unconscious person, no, no reaction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, but then, yeah. you know that whole thing about... Because... Uh, <laughs> do you remember that whole experiment about we, we've got two uh, pots of seeds or something, and one seed, we say to it, you know, you're the best, we love you, you're going to be... And, you know, we, we, we shower it with nice compliments and it grows into a beautiful, blossoming plant. <laughs> And the other pot of seeds, we deride it, call it names, you know. Right. Tell it it's worthless, doesn't deserve yeah. to be growing, and it doesn't grow. I mean, oh, I don't no. know about the scientific validity of those. <laughs> yeah, where are you hearing this? I wasn't aware of this. I think it was in, like, a Instagram post. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm all about scientific rigor. It's great. I think it was on a Facebook group called uh, Higher Ascension of Spiritual... <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, but like, okay, but what are the, like, what are the scenes from your childhood that, do you have any? I mean, maybe you don't know or like remember them, but do you have any scenes from your childhood that you remember as being like a mind altering moment that pl- like catalyzed some like uh, snake of thought that's been coiling its way around your life, you know, uh, since? Well, let's let's go straight to the reality of it. Ooh. Ooh. I think, well, you, I would have to say the death of my father is one of the great arcs in my childhood. Right. How old were you? Um, 12? Yeah, 12. Right, because it's weird because I... Um, it's so hard to think about someone experiencing something genuinely, anomalously traumatic when you're 12 years old. Because I think about things that affected me or f- friends of mine who've had relatively easy lives and, like, an offhand comment by a relative or something can can completely plant a seed and uh, can determine the way you see the world and think about things from there on, you know? Mm. These small things. And then to think of something that completely turns things around to the, you know, uh, something that's genuinely traumatic is But then again, crazy. I, also, I also, like, I don't, I don't disparage, you know, I do hear from some people, you know, they will have fixated on some, you know, I remember when a kid in my class told me this. I mean, for an example like that, I remember when a kid in my class told me I had big ears and that stuck with me for <laughs> for at least three or four years. That was... But, <laughs> but, but I think yeah. for, the, for, for anyone, really, there's no... The... the uh, it's hard to get an absolute metric of your own subjective trauma. Sure. Um, do you know what I mean? It's impossible to say that subjectively it could all be, do you know what I mean? I feel like you can always, you can always pick a reference frame where your life has been, you know, absurdly easy. I Mm. mean, like in the grand scheme of things, both of us are uh, in like the top, what, like five fifth percentile of easy lives on earth. First. I think it's probably, yeah, it's pretty high up. We we are more lucky than that. Yeah. But, so yeah, by that regard, it's you know. Sure. But um, where was I going to go with it? I would say I, I feel like increasingly one thing I find that I'm fixated on. Pardon me. Is just the kind of. Although statistically unlikely. Um, the kind of. The, there are plenty of undesirable and possible miseries that can befall you at any moment. Sure. You know, and that's the thing is, because they say that humans have a, humans, our mind is not geared up for a kind of intuitive understanding of probability. <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. And part of it is because I think we are so central as our kind of reference point. But um, the thing I feel about the kind of... Because the Neil deGrasse Tyson, Richard Dawkins is also guilty of it. Sure. Um, That, yes, it's that kind of um, taken to extremes, look at the sort of... uh, Look at the sort of apparent... um, pointlessness of trying to reckon with any existential questions but my personal problem with all that stuff is they're ostensibly attempting to kind of alleviate the pain of grappling with your own pointlessness through this kind of very ego forward you know it's it's still all about me like poor me I'm stuck on this rock it is funny how legitimately jarring it is to meet someone who's still like from that school of new atheism now mm. in like 2021 i remember being i remember being like 14 and buying into it mm. but if you meet someone now who's like yeah i'm you know i, I uh the I dawkins one i always remember is you know well you, you already are an atheist you know you don't believe in zeus do you like <laughs> ah yes you don't seriously believe in tiamat do you <laughs> <laughs> That kind of thing. Do you seriously expect me to believe? <laughs> <laughs> Hit 
Hitler was a loony. That was, that's a great line from one of his from one of his talks. Someone someone claims real? that Hitler was a Christian. He goes, no, first of all, Hitler was a loony. <laughs> Hitler was not a Christian. Hitler was a loony. <laughs> I'm going to ask well, you another question from uh, Philip K. Dick's Ubik. Fire, fire. All right, let's find out. Um, can any of us fix anything? Can any of us fix anything? Yeah. Um, from my memory of the book, I'm trying to wonder where this one would have occurred. I can any of us fix anything? Uh, yeah, make what you will of that question. You know. Well, I mean, I take it on a kind of um, fairly um, what's the word? Fairly placid and kind of nice route. I think one thing I do like is the trying to acquire the skill of fixing. Um, and I don't mean this to sound like a Jordan Peterson thing. <laughs> fixing things in your house or just fixing right. your items. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but I did at college a guitar making course, which, you know, kind of unavoidably also delves into guitar repairing. Yeah. Um, and I was never great at You're it. You're a luthier. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say I was a luthier. Well, I, I mean, would. I made I made half a guitar, right? And plenty of my friends um, were far more successful. In fact, my best friend now is essentially a piano repair person, due to you know a lot of the stuff he learned on that. But it was a nice feeling to, you know, because aside from things like changing strings, that's par for the course, you know. Right. It was a nice feeling to actually fix things with guitars, like reattach the neck or yeah. kind of, you know, refile things that um, that previously would have been unattainable. Well, creation, I mean, creation's a pretty pure joy, whether that's channeled through, like, art or just, um, you know, objects. Mm. If you're making something... I mean, if you're making something that works... In whatever sort of metric you want to use for, you know, defining what working means, you're doing something cool. What is the relationship between creation and repair? Ooh. Because you know what I mean? Like, guitar making, guitar repairing, similar yeah. skill set, yeah. right? Because the one that my mum's favourite programme at the moment, um, do you know that programme, the repair, is it called the repair shop or something? No, the something I don't shop? Know. The idea is... It's kind of like Antiques Roadshow crossed with uh, like Ground Force or something. It's, it's antiques and improvement together. Right. Someone will bring in like, you know, here's my beloved, um, my grandfather's beloved like harpsichord or something. It's shot to pieces. Right. And the team will restore it to its original condition. But it's almost like through the act of restoring it to its quote-unquote original condition, it sort of it emotionally transcends it somehow. It's not like, right, oh, there's the old harpsichord. Like, it's not... Yeah, and you're talking about something very intuitive, uh, and you can see that in... It's reflected in the popular culture. You think about like scenes from movies that are very popular. Toy Story 2, mm. the guy restores Woody... You think about um, videos that get very popular on the internet. Someone the other day sent me one of like someone restoring a watch. These are like very profoundly satisfying things to people, mm. right? And you're right. It does. It does. You are imbuing it with something else when you um, go through this process. Because um, they would, you know, I'm sure in some of those, you know, they refer to it as kind of a rebirth. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? What is what is a rebirth like? Uh, do you know what I mean? Where is that thing between restoration and creation? When it just when it comes to you know, can we fix things? Like, um, I think um, breaking it down into like boring talk. Mm. Okay. Creation fundamentally is you're building something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And repair isn't that. I don't know what the equivalent sentence would be for repair. Mm. 
the sum, yes, it's as if it still is the sum of its parts, but some of the parts are uh, no longer functioning. I mean, that's, 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 <laughs> oh, that's just a, that's just a straight... <laughs> <laughs> this is... Uh. That's good. I'm going to ask you a banal question now. Okay. Uh, Are you going to edit this, or is this all? Yeah, no, I'll cut out. Yeah. I'll cut out all the moments. A, I'll I cut out all the slurs you used. <laughs> yeah. For Belgian people, um, do you like beef? Do I like beef? Yeah. I do like it. Um, I though. Is there any? Are you feeling any pull towards, you know, any of the isms? Vegetarianism, yeah, yeah. veganism. Yeah, well, yeah. the two main women in my life being my mum and my girlfriend. Yes. And even previously my sister. I don't know what my sister's current standing is, but my mum... <laughs> well, no, no, because she was vegetarian for a while, but... Oh, I thought you meant her standing in whether she's... Oh, whether she's... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I mean is she was vegetarian for a <laughs> right, while, okay, you gotcha. should have seen her on Christmas dinner. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah. don't want to throw the bus. Flexitarian. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, my mum would not go as far as to say she is vegetarian. Yeah. Just the, her, her, um, her, what's the word? Her um, logic with that is if she tells everyone I'm vegetarian, I'm vegetarian, when it comes to things like, you know, getting catering in, they won't have considered that she'll have meat. Right. So she doesn't, she doesn't say I'm vegetarian, but at home she Re- always eats vegetarian sure for probably the last couple of years and my girlfriend is veg well pescatarian but yeah so as a result no matter where i am my i am served uh meat or you know the the option is there with decreasing frequency and i don't really miss it yeah i do feel like yeah, I don't cook for it. I don't cook it for myself when I'm alone. Mm. Generally, like if I'm buying the food for myself, you know, I'll I'll get a leak, a leak, an aubergine, mm. or eggplant for the uh, Yanks. Listening. Eggplant. Yeah. What's yeah, the other ones? There's another one like that. Courgette isn't it? and zucchini. That's it. That's yeah. Because there's a few arugula and uh, what is arugula in in English? I can't remember. Rocket. It's rocket. Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I would say we're living for an interesting time for, there's kind of an, um, <laughs> maybe to call it an arms race is <laughs> a little bit too strong, but there is, the, the, the competition between companies which are offering that meat substitute, corn, yeah. Linda McCartney. My cousin works for Bowl, the, uh, the vegan soup company. B-O-L. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed some of their soups. Yeah, she's. Well, you, may, you may have eaten one of the ones she's designed. Give Personally. her my regards. Yeah, I will. Um, May Allah uh, exalt her to the highest stations in oh, paradise. Excellent. I'll, let her, I'll, I'll pass it on. Um, all right. What's your anti-talent? My anti-talent? Yeah. And ah, explain I, what an anti-talent is. First I know what this is in the kind of yes. PKD thing because yeah. this appears not only in Ubik but in other ones. The idea is they have precogs, people with precognitive abilities who yep. can... Um, who can essentially, uh, you know, they're, they're precognizant. They know what's going to happen. And they're employed by corporate, for, uh, co- corporate firms. But then, as a countermeasure, they have to hire anti-precogs. Again, it's like that kind of... You know the thing how there's an arms race between the police and criminals? They're right. in a constant neck-and-neck battle of one-upmanship yes. in terms of who can outsmart the other. Sure. What is my anti-talent? I would take that to mean, you know, what is something other? I feel like other people may be talented at that I personally feel like I'm impervious to. Yes. And it's a hard one to say. What magnetic field are you, like, dimming? Yes. Just through your um, presence alone, you know? I'm kind of... I'm not too eager to say one because I feel like whatever I say, it will reveal some kind of, you know, some sort of, like... Oh, you know, he thinks he's good at that, does he? But um, maybe, I mean, it would be, this would be a kind of nice one to treat myself to. I like to feel that I, I like, I would like to think that I can negate the effects of pessimism, pessimism in others. 
maybe that makes it sound like I like. Does that to mean think you're I'm making a... them less pessimistic? I like just... to. I like to think I'm pretty good at increasing people's confidence, That's just good. through kind of um, supportive. But I don't know. You'd you'd have to ask. That's a very uh, nice anti-talent to have. Well, that's what I was thinking. Is I was I trying to think of something like, how am I, how am I, like stopping someone from getting ahead in the world? <laughs> you know, that's I, I didn't want to go for that, but yeah. you know, I feel like with, that's a loaded question because whatever. Well, I you think say, just through answering the way you did, you've proved your point. Oh well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. And I'm going to go against it. I'm going to say that I'm. In, sometimes I find myself impervious to certain types of like shallow charm that work on a lot of people. Mm. I don't know if you ever find yourself in that situation, but like people that are people that are really good at um, uh, sort of getting what, not even getting what they want. It's more innocent that than that. But it's like people who are really good at walking into room and getting everyone on their side. Um, but it's something they switch on. Mm. Sometimes, not always. I feel like I can see through that, and I'm surprised. Not even see through it. It's not that active. It's more like doesn't have an effect on me and I'm surprised that it does on other people I feel like that is a fairly um, that feels to me like one of those kind of it's a kind of British or you know uh-huh. I don't know I, I don't know because I've not been everywhere in the UK but definitely that feels like you know that it, it's one of the things which I feel like English people fairly across the board will say about <laughs> Americans yeah sure that kind of um it's a kind of Americans have an immediate warmth, which yes. I understand and I appreciate. And it goes also, beyond this like cordial politeness that maybe would be attributed to British people, mm. which is there are no uh, there's no confusion about what that is. But with Americans, it does seem to be like a you could mistake it for genuine emotive conversation. Mm. And I don't think it's an evil thing. I'm not saying it's no. bad. It's it's just different. Yes. Um, the one my mum once phrased it like this, which I thought was pretty, um, pretty interesting and perceptive. Which is, I feel like amongst in England, there's this assumption that you need to kind of assume people are disingenuous until they prove themselves to be genuine. Right. And I mean, may- maybe this is not true, but I just the way my mum phrased it, I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. I think I think a but, big part of it is that everyone in America is working for tips. Good point. Good point. Hang on. Oh, he texted me. Could uh, sorry, I don't want to do the logistics. Yeah. Um, it's fine. This will all get cut out. No, it's good. I section. think this is good. Oh, um, we're we're, like, we're giving people a peek behind the curtain because the rest of it was so polished. Now we're just like giving them a bit of. Uh, I don't know, behind the scenes. I think it's been a good podcast. What do you think? There's been some great stuff. No, I'm happy with it. If, oh wait, no, I only have these mics till the weekend. I need to, I'm going to see if I can figure out how to retain them somehow. Because my cousin's giving me this. I do have one of these, but it's only got one channel. Um, And I've only got the mic you're... No, the mic I'm holding is the one I own. Um, Could I tell my story um, about the student? Just because I feel like it, 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 it kind of gets to an interesting yeah, point yeah, about what it. it's like to record, record something you know that at some point, or you know, at least you, you assume, given the evidence, that it will be heard by someone else, but you, you, you don't know. This is um, wait. This is the student. This is a story about your student friend interviewing you. No, no, no. Oh. This is the story about my student who... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, gotcha. There's a new thing where you can do musical instrument exams via a pre-recorded video. And this student of mine, he was... Because um, to me, this feels like... Well, anyway, I'll, I'll say that later. Um, he, w- he was playing the pieces perfectly before the camera was rolling. You know, confident, feeling the, feeling the groove and all this. Um, and then as soon as the camera went on, he started messing up in a way that it just read as, you know, he's he's overthinking it a little bit. And I said, um, what is the matter? And he said, oh, no, I was just... Bear in mind, he's about nine or ten. He said he started to panic because he imagined that the examiner could already see him. Which I just feel yeah. like it, it kind of gets to that 
idea where the thing which stems your flow and the thing which creates an anxiety in you is not actually other people looking at you or sure. listening to you. It's just the idea that they are. Yeah. Do well, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and built into that is the idea that you can't somehow, this time you need to get some uninterrupted slab of good content somehow. Because that, mm. that, that comes into play here. Like, I'm not really feeling it now, maybe because I've had a Heineken, but uh, when I've recorded in the past, there is that element to it that does stunt me when I um, talk to people. Um, what happened, I interviewed, I, I had a Zoom call with, um, do you know, uh, Sri, uh, Sridhar Ramesh? Mm, I yeah. like that guy. I, yeah. did, I did one with him, and he uh, he's my buddy, but what we found was that immediately after we shut it off, we started being funny, in conversation, casually. Mm. Um, and I think that made me, uh, I realized I was trying to steer it too much, I guess. But yeah, all, all this stuff comes into play. It's um, It's strange that these psychological effects are so potent, I guess. I'm obsessed with that kind of thing. Woo Wei. Uh, Wu Wei. Wu Wei, effortless action. Like, right. it's a kind of Chinese philosophy thing, which is... It's all about the kind of... The idea that the more you contrive to try and do something, the worse you'll be at it. Sure. You know what I mean? If you're really, really trying to come across as charming or come across as funny, yeah. that's when you end up kind of making all the jokes which don't land. And it's like you, 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 you kind of need to clear the... But then what's the, what's the approach? Because, you know, don't, isn't the only way you get good at anything by trying? I mean, I guess they would say that you practice correctly... Because I would say the same thing about improvising, musical improvisation. Right. You want to practice, practice the scales, you know, practice over songs, practice all the material that you could use. But then when it comes time to do it, you want to get in that flow state, that kind of unobserved, sure. like... Can I tell... This is not my story. This is apparently a story that Bruce Lee told. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I love it. I, I genuinely, I do think about it at least every couple of days or something. It's like there's a guy cutting wood in the forest um, with the axe, and then a dragon comes out of the clearing, and the guy thinks, you know, in very Skyrim fashion, I'm going to kill the dragon, <laughs> get the bones, get everything, I can sell it, do you know what I mean? I'll be yeah. rich. And the dragon speaks to him telepathically and says, uh, I'm, I can read your thoughts if you try and swing that axe at me. You know, I'll know the instant you do it and I'll incinerate you. And the guy thinks, right, well, I can't win. And he goes back to chopping the wood. And as he lifts the axe up, it flies out of his hands backwards, lands between the dragon's <laughs> eyes and he killed it. And the idea is that's Wu Wei. He, right. he, he did it without thinking about oh. it. And thus he succeeded. Well, and that's no, something, yeah, that's something completely different. That's the about thing about that, sorry if I'm talking too much, but no, no, the thing good. about that stuff I love is just the... It's such a mysterious moral. There's right. such a mysterious yes, moral right. to that. Yeah. Because one event similar to that in my life, I wrote a poem about it, is I was playing football uh, with my friends after school, and I was terrible as, at football as a kid. Um, I mean, I fictionalised it more in the poem, because... Nothing happened afterwards, but I was so frustrated trying to score goals and stuff. At the end of the thing, I just kicked the ball in a completely frustrated manner. And it went perfectly into someone else's window, like hit against the glass. <laughs> and I thought, like, how did I do that? I'd been aiming for the goal the entire thing. You know, I'd been right. trying to play football properly and I didn't succeed. And then the instant that I gave up on football, it just, it went... Yeah. Somewhere perfectly. And people have a quotidian quotidian experience with that when it comes to like I feel like meeting like romantic partners or something. Like mm. that does seem to be a thing that always does happen when you're not actively looking for them. Looking for it. Very or true. Or just meeting the right person, I don't know. Very true, I would say. Yeah. Um 
I do sometimes talk to Charlotte about like, because especially once you feel like you met your current partner or something, a little bit about the statistical thing I was saying earlier, you start to think there are so many moving parts in that operation. Sure. You know, um, that if any one of them had not taken place, my life would be on a completely different course. Right. And then you, you, you extrapolate that out and you think, my God, my entire life has been stuff like that. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. Were, were I not that one sperm, who knows what other kind of information would have been in the other sperm. Yeah. Could have been a totally different guy. Sweet. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Who yeah, knows? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, thinking about that stuff breaks my head. I have another question from Philip K. Dix Ubik. Uh, what was it like to see the first automobile? What was it like to see the first yeah. automobile? <laughs> yeah, because the plot is coming, but I haven't read it in a couple of years. But, I mean, what can I take from that in my life, in my life, to see the first car? I can't remember the first time I saw a car. Yeah. Um, but and to see the first, to be a child that grew up in... What would you imagine that was like? Do you, do you think anything's comparable to that? Like, what inventions are you... Uh, Oh, I mean, I feel like you could, um, I mean, oh, all right, here's another way to twist it. Yeah. What was our first automobile? There was something, think social media is something which we right. saw. Yes. Yeah. I feel the problem is the inventions which have sprung up in our lifetime are less real world, physical, substantial stuff. Um, sure, yeah. The, the, the most revolutionary ones, at least, they're less substantial, they're more... Do you feel like uh, British people have a less developed relationship with the internet than than maybe our American cousins? I always felt like there is this sort of weird clinging on to traditional media here that isn't present in other places. I feel like, do you feel like perhaps it may be that England is significantly smaller that, also that we feel like role, we can yeah. connect a bit. We can still connect the whole of, you know, the, the, the British Isles uh, fairly easily without having to resort to the mega information network. The, the fascinating thing about that whole debate to me yeah. is it raises the question, is television the things you watch on it or is television the manner in which you watch them? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I feel like there's an argument to be made, especially if perhaps starting with my generation and younger, I don't think they mourn the loss of television. No, because of course not. Maybe, it, maybe, it's, maybe the shift started happening at the right time, but it's like you can still watch, if you still want to watch Only Fools and Horses. Right, yeah. You can watch it, and sure. you can almost watch it in its kind of entelechical form as if you want to watch it all day long, one after the other, yeah. until it ends. yeah it's more feasible than, than, than ever. Um, do you mourn the loss of television? As, well, sorry, sorry to cut off my own question, but what I do miss, or what I do think is uh, something slightly, something that's perhaps not so good that is now missing is the idea that you, when you watch television as a child and it's, you know, broadcast order, mm -hmm you will be exposed to things you wouldn't have watched otherwise. Yeah. Programs you would not have ever investigated Sure. Yeah. will just be displayed to you. Yeah, and everything's algorithmic now and, uh, you know, pruned. 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 I'm not um, particularly, what's the word, pessimistic about the influx of new media, but um, it does feel sometimes, like you look at Spotify the way that works, the way we consume music, the way we um, can watch anything we want whenever we want now. Mm. And it does sometimes feel like we're kind of overreaching as far as, like, <laughs> our corporal forms are concerned. Because it's like, um, yeah, in theory, in some idealised uh, space, we it, it wouldn't be a problem to uh, have everything at our fingertips and listen to whatever we want whenever we want. But the truth of the matter is, it is satisfying to put on, to have a CD and put it in this player. And maybe that added little hump of effort it would take to only skip through to the songs we like um, 
that is enough for us to listen to an entire album, maybe that made us more, uh, I don't know, uh, disciplined consumers um, with that stuff. So I don't know. I, there's definitely something to putting in effort, unnecessary effort, mm. to to consume certain media. And I don't know that plugging your senses, drowning yourself with very um, uh, sort of visceral, emotive content is good. I don't know that like listening to um, to various blues musicians spill their guts over the course of seven hours just passively I don't know that that's good for the soul mm. do you mean well I mean when you say expending unnecessary effort w yeah. you know to consume certain types of media where my mind went is you know because the, the one I always hear told by people who are lamenting the kind of the death of the the way music used to be is that if you'd bought an album, you had already kind of invested something and were therefore more likely to sit through the album regardless of regardless of how instantly gratifying you found every song. Yeah, yeah you know, definitely. I can... Um, yeah, and I do, really, I do normally recoil from these types of arguments, but I, I also agree with them when I hear them. Yeah, you've already invested in it. You have some uh, uh, tacit relationship with the musician, whatever, where you've gone like, uh, where you have something to lose, there are stakes, mm. and you hear them out. Obviously, where that goes wrong is you buy a shit album, and you have to listen to it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not... Two things on that. I mean, I've heard that same idea as well. Have you noticed sometimes things are not free, but they're one pence? It's like yeah, you, yeah. you must pay the nominal fee for this uh, free trial or, you know, sure, for us yeah. to send you this thing. You must pay this negligible nominal fee. But apparently right. the, the idea is that, uh, from your perspective, having sunk some cost into it you're now when it arrives you think right well i gotta get my oh, 20 right. p's worth or something whereas if it's absolutely free there's no perceived cost right. to just throwing it straight in the bin not to deflate what you just said but i always assume that was about uh getting your credit card information ah maybe it is <laughs> maybe it is but that does exist in like paying for things as well sometimes i think i don't know reminds me of there's a brilliant captain beefheart lyric Ooh. I just pricked myself on that. that oh, no. bush. Captain Beefheart lyric, heaven is free except for a dollar. <laughs> and I always think, that's one of those things where I think, well, is Captain, is that, did he intend that to be as profound as I think it is? Is it coincidence? It's almost as if sometimes I took that to mean everything in this world can be yours provided you make that kind of nominal effort to engage. Right. Or sometimes I think, does it mean that um, the the people who have it worst in this world are kind of debased infinitely compared to the rest of us who have things pretty good? I, I don't know. I just I always thought that was a really, really... No, that is a good ...stuck lyric. with me. Yeah. But, um, but the other thing is, you know, I remember as a kid... Some of my favourite video games I played as a kid, I know now that they're objectively not very good. <laughs> but, yeah. again, through this... I mean, you know, already, f for people who subscribe to this idea that um, society's been on this kind of dystopian backslide, I'm sure if I told this to, to people who... Um, Perhaps if I told this to people who, you know, oh, I, I listened to the whole Pink Floyd album and, you know, changed my <laughs> life, blah, blah, blah. My name's Ron. I'm uh, fucking 65. I live in fucking San Encino. I live in Los Bastardos, California. Uh, uh, um, yeah. yeah. You know that a, kind of guy. I have a child halfway across the country who doesn't talk to me anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going bald, but I got like half a ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laying into this. Sorry, Ron from uh, Los Bastardos, California. Um, <laughs> would it be Los or Las Bastardos? I don't know. I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, 
I have an illegal slow loris in my in my loft. <laughs> I have a painting of a wolf riding a uh, Harley Davidson above my fireplace, <laughs> and the frame is cracked from uh, the time oh. my friends got too drunk and. Uh, my friend uh, was playing pool on my pool table. Every, um, everyone is aware of me at the local bar, but bristles when I try to make conversation. <laughs> We're laying into the fictional <laughs> yeah. guy. But it's, like, it's funny that we both know who this guy is. No, of course. Even though he's a kind of uh, ostensibly an American archetypal character. Yeah. My very quick thing, sorry. I was just thinking about this game I loved as a kid. Road Trip Adventure, it was localised as in Europe at least. It's a Japanese video game based on the, the, the Koro Q. I'm getting into too much detail, but it's, it's, a, it's not a great game. It's like right. 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, were it to be reviewed by probably an adult at the time of release. But just because a I was... A sort of angry nerd figure, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the angry video game nerd would not... Or maybe he would. Maybe, maybe there is some <laughs> kind of resonant, um, incorrigible beauty to this game. But sure. what I'm getting at is just because, as a kid, it was one of the few games my parents just bought me and said, here you go. Yeah. And I thought, right, well, I've got no other games to play at this point. Let me, let me commit to this one. I, I personally... It, it is one of the most nostalgic things in my entire life. This kind of, this, this sort of um, incidental, badly, badly translated port of like, yeah. you know, the third or fourth or fifth game in some long running Japanese yeah. car I think, series. I think there is almost some kind of bell curve effect with these type of things relative to age, where you're young, you consume things, um, sort of indiscriminately, you enjoy, you sink time into things. It doesn't really matter what their absolute quality is or relative quality. I don't know. Then you, then you uh, become a bit more of a snotty teenager, and you, um, uh, like, you start consuming things very without compassion, but with standards. You yeah. know, and then you develop some sort of empathy later on. Ideally, when you're an adult. And you start sort of empathizing with, I don't know, the creator's process. And you start just being generally more receptive to the amount of work it took to make something. And the, uh, I don't know, psychic pain someone went through to put something on a plate and proffer it to you. Like, uh, sycophantically almost, you know? Mm. There is something nasty about the... Because definitely the most... when The time I was the most critical of media was when I was a teenager. Right. And I can't remember who said this, but there's that whole thing of to understand what makes art bad, you need to kind of understand the intent behind it. Right. Like, what truly makes it bad is when there's a clear sort of incongruity between what they intended and what they managed yeah and i feel like when you're a kid that when you're a kid you're almost so isn't i'm not trying to disparage kids but <laughs> kids are pretty egocentric right sure yeah um you're so egocentric i don't think i ever ever considered until i was at least 10 who makes video games and why Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, no. It never, it never occurred to me. What is the, who made Ratchet and Clank, and what was their, sure, what was their sort of, I don't know. But yeah, all right. Uh, are we? Uh, so they, where are they? The people. There's one of our good friends. One of my good friends. Yeah. Is at Lancaster Gate. All right. That's, I don't mean to. No, no, it's fine. We've we've gone for more than enough time. Shall it's we do like a sign off? Yeah, yeah. How are we doing that? Um, how do we sign this off? Thanks for listening. I mean, thank you for listening. And uh, Earth distance, plug your <laughs> plug your shit. My stuff. Yeah. I mean, the most substantial thing I've done in the last few years would have to be the the medium story. Uh, what did I call it? Pain is the brother of hunger. Um, I don't know. It's 
to 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 call it a piece of fan fiction, uh, bringing together the Blues brother, Blues Brothers, Dracula and Blade, would yeah. uh, that's that's enough information. I think that's good. <laughs> I'll I'll link it somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. Other than that, um, right. I'd like to plug. Uh, uh, great outdoors. Yeah, yeah, go outside. Um, you know. But bring your devices with you. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You, you'll need a laptop to catalogue everything. You will need a laptop. You'll need a DSLR camera. Yeah. You'll need the most expensive microphone you can get. It'll have no worth um, unless you're making uh, field recordings extensively. Yes. Remember, yeah. nothing in this life means anything unless you yeah. rigorously document it. Yeah, tear the grass 24. from the ground and uh, put it inside a book to dry. Put each put each put each blade of grass in a kind of laminated like yeah. one of those Pokemon card yeah. albums. Yeah. Um catch a bird and flatten it in infinite jest <laughs> uh, to preserve it. Mm. Yeah. All right. Most definitely. Good convo. Thanks good for joining. Good convo. Was that a good sign off? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>